The truth is not fun and comfortable. The science is not always clear, but in my opinion, personally, it is easier for me to understand the situation, say, you know what? I am afraid of this. This is scary. This is uncomfortable. I hate this situation. Okay. Now that I've dealt with that, what is the best that I can do? Even if it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today's guest uh, is Susanna Harris. Uh, Susanna, thanks for joining me, by the way. Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm going to be so here's why you're on my show. I don't know a ton of what you do, but I've been following you on social media. And this is you just seemed like the perfect person to have a conversation about this. So I I know that you're uh, I know that you're you do a lot of science communication. I know that you've had some uh, success on social media and stuff doing it. And I I also, so from a selfish point of view, a little bit about myself, I was a stand-up comic and then I started doing the science podcast and science-themed comedy shows and stuff. And I've been less and less interested in comedy and more and more interested in science through the years. And especially since COVID, I've been figuring, trying to figure out like, well, how do I get more into science communication? So this is partially selfish for me talking to you, but also I know a lot of my listeners um, are uh, a lot of people that aren't scientists themselves, but really curious and interested in science and try to communicate some of the ideas that they learn from this show to other people in their lives. And um, my take from a lot of your posts is you do a better job of that than, than I do and might have some advice for people. And then also you uh, you seem very interested in mental health, which is a which is a really um important topic on this show as well. So that's why I reached out to you. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's it's really cool when when you reached out to me, I was like, what is this podcast about? What is happening? It's Is it funny? Is it, and it is funny, but it's not exactly a it's comedy It's not meant pod. to be. Yeah. yeah it's like we'll it's, have some laughs here and there. Yeah. It's entertaining. <laughs> um, sure. So uh, yeah, I, let's see. So I actually, I grew up in Iowa. Um, I went to the University of Iowa for undergrad and I went to the University of Iowa for undergrad partially because I lived in Iowa, but also because while I was a, a high school student, um, didn't really know what I wanted to do, knew that I loved science, knew that I really particularly loved biology. And I took this one class that was um, like an AP bio class and for one week, just two different sections, we talked about bacteria and viruses. And I found out that there's actually viruses that infect bacteria and that it's happening all over the world and actually inside of your body right now. And I was like, that is the coolest thing I've ever heard. I don't know what people do with that for their job, but it turned out that I could get a degree in it uh, and I needed to go to college anyway. So I went to the University of Iowa because it has a really good microbiology program. And while I was there, kind of followed that same path of saying, well, what am I 
what am I excited about and how can I find a way to make that my main activity that sort of has followed along with me. So while I was at University of Iowa, uh, I got the opportunity to um, go and do research, like my own primary research in a lab, which was an incredible opportunity. Found out I love the science aspect. That's what brought me to getting a PhD in microbiology in grad school. I did that at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Um, spent about five and a half years there getting that PhD, studying actually how bacteria and plants interact, how that affects the plant health, uh, just really, I don't want to say digging in, that's an unfortunate kind of wordplay, <laughs> really just trying to understand um, how all of these different interactions are happening, again, all over everything, why it matters to us all the time. And but while I was there, I, I finally hit this point of like, okay, now what am I going to do for my job? How do I, after I've gone to school forever, how do you exist as a communicator? How can you, since I didn't really love doing the science as much anymore, it was the means to an end of going to conferences and writing papers and reading papers. How can I be somebody who goes and talks to scientists and works with scientists without being a scientist myself? Um, and what ended up happening, I graduated in March of 2020, which is a weird time to graduate, but throughout my, throughout my time in grad school, I'd done a lot of communication work. I learned a lot about using social media and online platforms to share about science. I've been trained one to share about my science, but also to help other scientists talk about their science. And I took a job in marketing for a company that works with biotech startups, learned about biotech startups. And while I was there, found out that uh, the space called biotech VC or biotech venture capital was an entire industry, an entire sector devoted to helping scientists take whatever happens in a lab and turn it into drugs and therapeutics and exciting things that can help people. Uh, and I found a way to actually work in that space doing that communication. My job is that I am the manager of engagement and communications for a biotech accelerator. What that means basically is that we help little tiny biotech companies, one to three founders, they have some cool piece of tech um, that they think is going to help patients. Our job is to help them get through some early trials, get through some of these early tests to make sure that their technology works. And my job specifically is to help them just talk about themselves to the media, to patients, to doctors, to anybody else. I help them do their communications. Amazing. Um, so, boy, there's a lot of directions we can go here. Um, I'm so I, I think I was kind of telling you before we started recording um, there. I've been doing this for this is the eighth year of the show and when I start, it's, it's different now that I do things remotely where I get to be like, oh, that that person had an interest, a book come out or something like that, and I can reach out to them. But before COVID, I was just, whatever city I was in for comedy, I would look up a university and be like, okay, I guess I'm going to hear about volcanoes this week or something like that. That sounds interesting. Haven't talked about volcanoes before. And because of the random way in which I would reach out to people, uh, and because I had been doing it for, I started this eight years ago, a lot of the people that I had on the show, it was their very first time doing a podcast uh, or talking to anyone like, 
outside of just a newspaper. And, and, and there's a lot of PTSD out there too, where they talk with a journalist and then the journalist takes like two sentences that they said and misrepresents it. They're like, Oh no. And so it was, it was, there was a lot of that that I had to overcome and reaching out to people. And then there was, uh, you know, some anxiety and everything. And then, but, but, but people, I, I think that um, I think the majority of academics on that I've had on this show, even though it's been totally random, are, are really great at explaining what they do, um, oftentimes better than I am at asking questions about what they do. But they but I also did this show stand up science where I would have people give like a 12 minute presentation about their work, thinking like, well, they teach classes all of the time. This will be so easy for them. They're already used to standing up in front of people and giving talks. And I've, I've just noticed there's like huge differences in just personalities and skill levels in terms of who's comfortable presenting information to the public, who's more engaging, who, who's, uh, you know, just, who, who's just a better fit for it. So I'm, um, I'm really interested in hearing um, how you go about coaching scientists to be better communicators. Yeah, it's, I think it's super fun. First of all, I think it's a, so this all started when it was my, my second year of grad school. And it was right around the time where I was realizing, you know, science isn't, isn't always perfect. Scientists aren't always perfect. Um, and, and was kind of wondering like what I was doing there. And I got involved with the local planetarium and science center. Um, mm. and I helped them actually write a script for, they, they did this 3d video talking about microbes on plant roots and in the soil. And they were like, we're making a 3d video, like VR, you put the goggles on your face and you're in the video and we need somebody who's a scientist so that we don't just like make things up. Um, and it was really incredible. It was really incredible to look up and see these like roots coming down at me. And then there's bacteria sticking to them and spraying out chemicals. And the way they were doing it was like, maybe not scientifically accurate, but that didn't matter because suddenly I was as excited about my own research as I was when I started. Um, and so it was through them that I got involved in a couple different outreach projects. And like I was saying, got, um, got trained to actually help other scientists communicate and a really big piece of that is finding ways to remind them of those moments, to remind them that although they are deeply embedded right now and they might be watching this video going like, well, bacteria don't aerosolize, they don't spray out chemicals, that doesn't actually matter as much as the, the thrill you get when you're learning about these things, when you're like, wow, how does the world work? I mean, it's the same as, as if you're eating some amazing new piece of pizza at a new restaurant you're excited about and you're like, this is, pizza is amazing. Um, if you're not a food critic, that's maybe where it stops. Or maybe you'll be like, because I love how the cheese is bubbly. But generally speaking, you don't need to know like the mired reaction to understand that bubbly cheese is delicious. You don't have to know that bacteria don't spew out aerosolized chemicals to understand that it's really cool that whatever they're producing is affecting plant roots. Basically, a lot of my work is just reminding people, hey, what you do on a very basic level is really cool. You don't need to convince me that you know everything. 
but I do need to walk away with like one or two things. So as soon as you said 12 minutes, I was like, oh yeah, nope, no, no, no. Because scientists, if you tell them three <laughs> minutes, they can usually do three minutes. Um, sometimes they panic, but 12 to 20 is like a really bad place for them because they start thinking, how many facts can I put into 12 minutes? And they'll say, if I can do two facts in three minutes, I can do eight facts in 12 minutes. Yep. And you can't. It was, uh, I mean, I learned, so I, I did, I did like a little over a hundred of these shows, uh, you know, <laughs> oh my gosh, a lot of learning on the fly. I mean, I was in a new city. I was in, I was in like three cities a week, a lot of times and meeting two different people each time and setting up in a new venue and everything else. And I learned that, um, scientists will not stick to their time first of all it was supposed to be like 15 to 20 minutes or something at first and then i was like make it 14 minutes and i was like no let's do like 12 <laughs> i'd be like give me a 10 minute because i knew that it would be like at least 16 <laughs> minutes or whatever and then it's a it's a common it, it another thing is uh being a a comedian i've fallen for this myself too whereas you were using the example of information um and trying to pack as much in um comics including myself will make the same mistake of like well how many laughs per minute can i get so if i just talk faster i'll get extra yep. laughs so you screw up the delivery and the timing and everything and that was a that was a major issue. So I, I was, I started putting together like various ways of coaching people through their, their thing. And then, and then you, you don't want to be too hands on either because you don't want to get people in their head. And so I would have like kind of a list of don'ts, like don't read off of a thing ever. Ever. You know more about birds or whatever than any anyone else in here. You could be making up stuff. It would be totally fine. Just be interesting. Just wing it. Um, uh, I didn't intend the pun, but there was one along the way. <laughs> what I what I love about um, uh, what you were saying, let, let me throw this at you, because I, I had some. I, I had an experience. I've, I've helped. I helped teach a class at UCLA a long time ago when I started. Um, and then uh, recently I just did a couple of uh, a couple guest lectures in the University of Boulder. I haven't done a ton of that, but my approach was always, I mean, I'm not I'm not their teacher and I don't need to grade them or anything. And I've always just thought I, I, and I hated school and I hated memorizing little things. I, I love concepts and I always just thought, well, just hit people with an amazing concept and throw a couple great concepts out there and some like interesting studies. And the goal should be less about getting someone to memorize a certain detail and more about sparking curiosity in a way that people will then go and uh, down their own rabbit hole and and uh, uh you know from anything from um wikipedia to google scholar to reading nature you know so uh, there there's there's 
there's a lot of different levels in which you can investigate science depending on uh, your training and aptitude and interest and everything else. But but that was always just the uh, the motivation and communicating is just like, can you get an idea out there that will change the lens that people see a certain thing and then they'll do their own I should be careful about saying, do your own research (laughs) these days, but uh, sparking curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. As, as far as, so kind of this idea of it's not about how many facts you can fit in there and, and that people aren't necessarily looking to, to just judge you and be like, is this, is this objectively cool? Is this objectively interesting? Let me, dig in here. Most of the time when you're communicating science, it's much more in terms of, you'll find that I have dogs. Uh, it's one of my favorite parts. Yeah. I have two dogs. I have, uh, and, and they are, they are the best interruptions ever. I really, I adore them. I got them. Yeah. I got them in grad school. Um, they are, they're mutts. So they were stray dogs out in like rural North Carolina. Um, and they, uh, they were puppies when they got posted on Facebook free and for sale by a woman who found them eating her dog's food at a trailer park. Um, and she was like, (laughs) they seem to be siblings They're I got as many fleas and ticks off of them as I could, as long as somebody takes them and, you know, keeps them together, then you can have them. And I, must've been having a weird day. Cause I was like, these are my dogs. Doesn't matter that I'm a grad student who lives alone. Uh, I'm going to figure it out. And I, I commonly call them my, um, the best worst decision of my life, like terrible decision <laughs> would not recommend people do this, but it was the best choice that I've like ever made. Um, yeah. So, but I, as far as the idea of where, how do you get, how do you get people excited about your science and should you be telling them facts should you be telling them um the most uh, i'm I'm guessing with some of these scientists they might have come back to me like well i don't know what's exciting or one of my favorite one when i've Mm. when i've been working with scientists is they'll say um i can't i I can't possibly explain my work in 10 minutes uh so i'm gonna actually i think it makes more sense for me to explain something like astrophysics like um (laughs) The reason that it's easier for you to explain astrophysics is because you know less about it and you know that something's exciting. You're like, how cool is it that that black holes exist? Like, that's a that's wild concept, right? Like that is I don't know anything about astronomy. Like I don't uh, just like if, and physics is a nope. Um, I have friends who do and they're great. But the fact that black holes are a thing, the fact that black or like that black holes warp light that they actually, you can, you can see them because light moves around them because they're so dense and they pull it. It's gravity. I don't know, but I could pull up some facts and make it like, that's enough. That's cool. But if you're too deep into your field, it's easy to get really, really, really into the weaves of saying, well, do black holes exist like this? Or are there, are there ways bending light that might be not exactly correct. And Mm. well, gravity matters here. And what's actually important is like some weird mathematical formula. Um, A lot of times it's easier Mm. to talk about stuff that you're not as close to because you are just hit with the shiny thing. And so as a, in Mm. communication, really that's your job is to give them the nice shiny package to say, like on my end for, for my thesis work was like, 
You know how yogurt can make you feel good. It can help you digest things. It can keep your body moving, keep your immune system healthy. Um, and you know, did you know that's from bacteria? Usually people will be like, yeah, probiotics, bacteria. Um, it's the same thing with plants. Plants actually need certain microbes to cover them and help them take up nutrients and help them prime their immune system. And so what I was looking at was how we could get some of these healthy micro microbes, these different bacteria, how we could get mm -hmm. them to stick on the plant and make the plant healthier. It's like, I think that's cool. Um, but from like my actual thesis level, what I, I think on a, a big scale, that's cool. On my thesis level, though, what was actually cool was something very, 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 very specific and technical mm. and detailed. And I, as someone who was like involved in that so deeply, that is what was cool. And I had forgotten just how interesting it is that that plants even have immune systems. Let's back it up to there. Let's just back it up to the fact that like plants exist. Um, so I think when when talking with scientists, uh, a big thing and I say scientists as if like this is the rule, not the exception. I don't think so. I think a lot of scientists are fantastic communicators in many oh, ways, Absolutely, but yeah. it's just sort of, it's as, as an average or as an expectation, I think that we don't necessarily expect this of scientists. Um, a lot of times scientists are not told to put themselves in the shoes of the audience. It is instead of saying, what do you think they're going to think is cool? I usually ask them, when you've gone to a talk outside of your field, what has been cool? Or like, what was the most interesting YouTube video you watched recently? And they'll say, you know, binging with Babish, he talked about this certain burger. I'm like, what was cool about it? I'm like, um, it made me really hungry for the burger and I learned something new. And I was like, yeah, do you know every single record? Like, did you know every single tool he used? Do you know every single reason he didn't use a certain type of cheese? No, what you walked away with was that made me hungry and I learned a new thing. <laughs> so just that reminder yeah. of your audience mm. is not you. So don't speak to you. You're not talking to you. If you want to talk to you, do a little audio recording, do your own individual podcast, put it up somewhere, I guess, if you want to. But if you want to communicate with somebody, you have to think about from their perspective. And the best way to do that is to try to actually put yourself into their perspective and think about like what what resonates, what gets you excited. Mm. Yeah, even even word choice. I I find myself thinking about this quite a bit where um I'll be nerding especially in the beginning of the show when uh I was just so intimidated talking with any scientist. I I had I didn't go to college myself. I had no training. I just read a lot of science books. And so anytime someone would say something even close to related to anything that I knew anything about, I would excitedly like need to tell them to like convey, Hey, I know about that, that thing. And I still, to this day, I find myself, um, you know, there's a lot of shorthand in, in science where it's like, I get very interested in an idea and I know like some shorthand way of phrasing things that, I reflect on later and I'm like, shoot, I bet that went over some people's heads just because they haven't had lots of conversations on this topic. And there's, there's kind of a fine line between 
using words to be showy, um, like just dumping a bunch of word salad at people to try to sell them on something, which is, uh, has been a problem all through COVID. And then, and then there are legitimately like fantastic new words and like say cognitive biases and stuff that people would really do well to like, think about and investigate on their own and like might when the first time you hear it might sound like just being showy or something but if you look into it it's a very it has tons of utility and um and so so finding what that that line is i i think is is really tricky to do there's the the there's speaking of cognitive biases there's the 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 pretentiously named the curse of knowledge um of of like you you forget that other people don't know the thing that you already know and then you blab like they already have information that they don't have how how do you how do you escape doing how do you stop yourself from doing that as a science communicator and without dumbing things down too much, too, where you're not just saying things to people that they already do know. It's mm. such a tricky balance. It is. It is a really hard balance. It is. Um, I think everything we do is context dependent, right? If mm. I um, if I'm at a restaurant and they ask me what I would like to eat, I know that I need to be ordering off their menu. I can't just say, I would like a taco if I am at a sushi restaurant. Like that's fine. But within this context, that doesn't translate to food. If I am, if my goal is to get food, saying I want a taco will not give me food at this restaurant. It is within this context. Um, and so jargon is just that same thing where sometimes jargon is a big fancy word People love to be like, DNA is jargon. No, deoxyribonuclease is acid, whatever. Deoxyribonucleic acid, there we go. That's jargon. Or like genetic is jargon. Um, code actually is a worse piece of jargon than all of those. The term code mm. is worse uh, because mm. that is so context dependent. If I say, what kind of code are you looking at? Depending on your background, you might have just heard computer code, like software. You might have heard coding like um, uh, like spies sending a code to somebody. You might hear code as in in like an emergency room. So actually, if I say DNA, the majority of people actually have a vague understanding of what DNA is. They think biology. They think right. mm, maybe like a spirally thing looks like a noodle. Um, but if I say code, that's actually a worse piece of jargon. So I think to... And that's, that's I bring that, interesting, right? I bring that up. I, I'm, I'm just, thinking of inclusive fitness right now, which is something I'll throw out there because I'm just so used to thinking about it and saying it where it's like the inclusive fitness of your, your, your genes, not just benefiting from your survival, but replicating. And then those offsprings ability to survive and replicate. I know what that means. If someone's never heard that before, they're thinking CrossFit or something. You mean like a communal exercise? Thing? And why wouldn't they? Like, yeah. of course, that's what you would you would think if you just were to guess at what that that term means. Sorry, I interrupted. It, no, but. no, no. So like that's that's but that's exactly that's exactly right. Right. And and I think what you just demonstrated is also um, you just demonstrated that we're on the same page. And so. Mm -hmm. The, the, the things you have to do to figure out 
Are you making things too simple? Are you not being clear is to take the temperature. And so like you are, you are a host, you are a comedian, you are a a lover of science. And so I can, in some ways expect for you to be like, eh, I don't know what you mean, or to jump in and clarify. I can't completely. Right. But I, I can more so than maybe if I'm talking to a random person, if I just start talking at them, I am never going to know what they do or don't know. I'm never going to figure <laughs> out their context. Um, and so to, when I, yeah. when I was talking about my thesis work, I mean, we could go real uncomfortable, ugly jargon if we wanted to in there. Um, but usually what I would do is ask people, have you ever heard of probiotics? And so I'll ask you, have you ever heard of probiotics? What do you think of? Uh, probiotics, honestly, because the the field is just not really my area at all. I think of I think of uh, I think of things at at uh, I, I think of the little probiotic things at the store and then it automatically makes me think of um of um antibiotics and you know stuff that i i think i think a lot of people it's it's a little more part of the zeitgeist or whatever getting out there on the news that uh, that the overuse and um incorrect use of antibiotics is causing issues and uh, something about probiotics is possibly doing something to contribute to helping this. And then I'm kind of lost for what the mechanisms are that are uh, actually doing that. Yeah. So just by having you explain that gives me a ton of context of where you're sitting. And so to kind of mm-hmm. break down what I was what I was hearing in this case is that one of the first words that I heard, well, one of the first things I heard was like this uh, I'm not sure. So that tells me a little bit like be gentle with this topic. Um, but you later in, talked about like the news and the science. The first word that I picked up was field, which is usually a term that people use if they're comfortable with science. I, I came in knowing that. But if I didn't know you and you said, I don't know much about the field, it's like, ah, they do know about science, though. And they understand the word field is talking about science. There is some science that we can talk about. That's cool. Um you bring up that. And so that tells me, well, you might not know a lot about this specific topic. You do know something or a lot about other scientific topics. So you're not going to necessarily be like science phobic. Um, Mm -hmm. Then you brought up antibiotics, which is great because antibiotics have some relatedness to probiotics. Interestingly, they're not exactly in opposition, but you brought up antibiotics, which tells me that you also might be kind of interested in the human health aspects and talking about them in terms of as a consumer you also brought up the news. So this gives me all these different pieces, give me things of like, what is going to resonate with you? What levels should I be talking at? And I can, it's it's sort of those, um, you know, 40 questions or 20 questions, 40 questions would be terrible. That's, that's the PhD version. You just keep asking questions until everyone hates you. Um, <laughs> but the, the 20 questions version of, is it, uh, is it a mineral? Okay. Is it a rock or is it a diamond? That's sort of what I'm doing as our first engagement happens is, okay, where are the boundaries as I expect them to be? And then I'm going to start poking at them. I'm going to say, okay, this is what you totally got right. Like I, I know that the excitement exists in you. So I can start getting a little bit more excited because I know that there are some parts of science that you are excited about because you've told me keywords that only people who really think about science think about. I don't have to bring it back and calm it down. I can get excited, but I don't need to push too hard 
on the exact verbiage of things. So I'm going to be like, yeah, here's some cool stuff that you said. Here's a really interesting fact that you might not know specific to those sort of areas that you're talking about. I'm going to talk about. Um, so what I would, what I would actually say is that's awesome. You're totally right on about the ideas of there's antibiotics that can cause some health issues. Maybe, you know, part of what actually works with antibiotics is they kill bacteria. Probiotics, really weirdly and kind of confusingly, those are actually the good bacteria usually. Mm -hmm. And like you're finding and like you're talking about, sometimes there's little pill bottles that say they're probiotics. That's because they're pills filled with little microbes. So I look at probiotics like you're talking about in those bottles. I look at those same kind of probiotics on the roots of plants. And excitingly, and if you would imagine as an agriculture company, you would want to add those kinds of probiotics onto plants. Maybe you'd even want to sell them. Um, and so, and then we'd start kind of chatting more that way. I might ask you, um, so how do you think antibiotics could make you sick? I, we can have a whole conversation, but it's, it is, it is a, a call and response activity where my job is to put little feelers out, see what people pick up. What do they, what do they show me when they, when they respond to me? That's an opportunity to give some encouragement, say, thank you. Um, add a little bit of facts, things that they can start pulling away, watch them for excitement. And then I ask another question. And so the, the best cycle that I have found is ask a question, get feedback, you know, affirm, say nice things, give a little treat of knowledge and then ask another question. Um, yeah. and you can guide in that way. And then the other person is like, oh, shoot, I'm smart. I know probiotics. I actually know a lot about probiotics. And part mm -hmm. of the thing that they now know is something that you told them. That's fantastic. That's <laughs> that's 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 the sort of tips that I saw you making on social media that really intrigued me because it's what I'm quite frankly, awful at because I'm so used to performing. I, I, I'm talking to crowds. I'm talking to audiences and I can gauge based on like whether I'm in a club full of random people that have no idea who I am and have no idea like that I'm interested in science, like what I should kind of talk about. And I can gauge if I'm a guest on someone else's podcast, like what level I should be speaking, I, I can gauge what my the audience to this show wants to hear. And I can gauge if I do like a show that's billed as a science comedy show, the kind of level of conversation that I can have. But what I don't know how to do is talk to people at an individual <laughs> level. I have a very hard time talking with like, um, say, uh, you, you know, relatives, uh, of mine that I don't see often or that sort of thing. It's, I'm, I'm f terrible at it. Usually <laughs> I don't say much of anything. Um, and when I do talk, if I talk and if I present science, I usually just see a window, um, of like, they're talking about this thing, I'll be like, oh, did you know? And then I'll like just hold court for <laughs> for a few moments. And and that that was that was what drew me to you was was thinking, gosh, I gotta get better at that. I I do not know how to talk to people at an individual level that well. I just don't have the experience doing it i'm i'm slightly awkward in person honestly and and so um and and i think that my 
I think that my listeners, some of the feedback that I've gotten is they've learned like a lot of valuable things from this show and they, they have, a, they struggle with some of the same things of like, well, how, how do I, you know, when there's a holiday get together or whatever, and someone's, you know, there's, there's a lot of like Dunning Kruger stuff going on where someone will <laughs> like the, the loudest person is usually the least informed. And then everyone else just kind of like either agrees or keeps their mouth shut, which reinforces this thing. And, and mm -hmm. how do you kind of break that? cycle a little bit is is some of the questions that i've had from people and i love this idea of asking questions about what they know getting feedback from that and then just keep on kind of exploring and engaging through asking them questions about what they're digging into their frame of reference i think a, a big a big key to this too is is the questions you ask um so everyone is freaked out about live quizzes, right? Like nobody wants a live quiz essentially where you're talking mm. with someone and then they ask you a quiz question. Um, oh. not fun. There are <laughs> like, there are a handful of people who love trivia. That's a but very even, good point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the thing is yeah. that I ask you when I, you know, like, what do you, what do you think about probiotics? What do you, what do you know about probiotics? If I say probiotics, mm. what are you thinking of? What are you imagining? Mm. Tell me like what comes to mind. Very very different than either saying, what are probiotics? That's a terrifying question. Um, and also very different than saying, do you know what probiotics are? Because, I mean, I, I know what they are, but if you ask me like, do you know what probiotics are? And I was on your, I'm like, I don't know what you're asking. I don't know what you're asking me. Uh, do you mean like technically? Do you mean mechanistically? Do you mean like, do you want examples? And so even though I actually do know that, I, I, I will get nervous. Um, mm. And so asking someone these questions that are like, what do you think I of? See. Or yeah, if I say probiotics, what comes to mind? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? It gives people the mm. space and, and you can even do it on social media. So some of my more popular um things that I've shared and engaged with people have been, tell me something sciencey that consistently amazes you. Um, that was a very contrived tweet. It comes across as like, do, 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 do. just like on Twitter, I'm bored. Uh, but like, I specifically say science E, because if you say science, a lot of people, even if they bring up an actual scientific fact, will be like, is this real science? It's more math. You say science E and it gives people the license to be ish. Um, it mm. also allows people to say, I didn't say, tell me a cool science -y fact because people then have to say objectively, what is cool? Is it cool that plants have an immune system? I don't know, but I uh, like, I am consistently amazed by it. It's something that I find really cool. So it's, it's this, it's the phrasing and thinking about if I say, what is a cool science fact? That's a scary question. Like that makes people freeze up versus if I say, What's something sciencey that consistently amazes you? It's, or I can say that boring. I can say what what's something sciencey that consistently amazes you? It's still less threatening. It's still more engaging. Mm. Um, and I'll I'll follow up with that. But though, like, there are in in the examples you gave of these people at the club, um, at the comedy club, and you kind of have some things to to expect from them. Um, all of these people have something in common with each other. Do you know what behavior they all have in common with each other? Um, 
what like what trait do all of these people have in common at at a regular comedy that well in in the case of a club they're they're there to laugh probably varying dis- degrees of like blow off steam just do something for entertainment or they're bored or whatever in the case of my science show there's a lot more of uh there's an intention to learn or an intention to advertise how intelligent they are by taking a date or whatever to uh, a science comedy show. And, and so, so yeah, I'd, I'd, is that what you're I mean, asking? You like like yeah, kind of exactly. That's perfect. Understanding people's motivations. Yeah. It's motivations, but it's, it's also like all of them have taken a specific action, which is that mm. they have given you the buy-in. No one accidentally shows up in a comedy club like oh my gosh i was going to mcdonald's and now i'm here listening to this comic i'm upset because i was hungry um what exactly they're excited about what they want to hear there are specific Mm -hmm. things you don't know but you at least know that all of these people have and and even with talking about your podcast or talking about these different shows you said the word intention the a really difficult thing when people bring up this question of like how do i talk with my grandmother how do i at thanksgiving Make it clear that I do not agree with the anti-vax movement without ruining Thanksgiving. The thing is, is that everybody at that table bought into going to Thanksgiving dinner. They did not buy into a science lesson. Um, They did not buy into any of these other things. And so as you're communicating, the only way to communicate is to get buy-in from people. It is otherwise you're screaming at nothing. You're a billboard. Um, and so that's where you can kind of, you can get some engagement. I do a lot of screaming at nothing. <laughs> I mean, same, same. But like, even you think about on Twitter, right? On yeah, yeah. I use billboard because you can't help it. You have to drive somewhere. You're not yeah, looking. Yeah. But on Twitter, people are there. They are going to see yeah. other people's thoughts. That's what Twitter right. is. Is like, here's right. my brain in chunks. Um So thinking about like, how do I talk to my grandmother about this? Or like, what do I say when someone says ivermectin is the cure? Um, That's where you have to start. You can't go directly at it because their intention is maybe not to communicate. You have to figure out what their, what their buy-in is. You have to say, you know, your first thing should not be, okay, I'm going to convince you otherwise. The first goal is actually, okay, I am going to get you to accept a conversation. I am going to get you to accept Mm -hmm. the opportunity to have a discussion. If I can't do that, then everything else is meaningless. So my first target is, can I get this person to say, I kind of want to learn more. I want to know your side. And it can even Mm -hmm. be as simple as that. You can even say like, huh, I have a different, I have a different opinion of that, but I'm not sure if this is the right time for it. That person can then say, no, I want to hear it. Congratulations. Like based on human psychology, they are going to treat you very differently now that you have that. If they have even given you this basic verbal assent of, no, I want to hear about it. They are also telling themselves that they are internally preparing for this conversation. You can also guess if they're like, no, tell me about it. Like then maybe like for self-preservation, don't. Um, Mm -hmm. But if your first question is, is like, if you manage to get them to answer the question, do you want to have this conversation? And like my most recent tip on TikTok was deciding when to not correct science and misinformation is to ask. I people, saw that. I loved yeah. that post. Those are, those are, yeah, those, those are 
uh, yeah, it, it, it tips like that are are why I hope everyone follows you. By the way, so I don't forget, what are your handles on? Uh, uh, yeah, so it's um, Susanna S U S A N N A, the letter L Harris, mm-hmm. Susanna L Harris, um, at every single platform. So I've I've managed to find a name that is is good across like every single thing. I'm not active on everything. I'm mostly active on Twitter, Instagram, and a little bit of TikTok. Um, Mostly yeah. because I think TikTok is just such a cool way to communicate. It forces you to do things quickly in a way that is eye-catching. There's some fun toys, but it is. It is that ability to say, like with that one, when to not talk about science misinformation is to ask yeah. the person, against always questions, ask them, what information would you need to change your mind about this? And so you yes. can use that at the dinner table. You can say, huh, that's not... That's not what I understand about this. That's not my opinion. So that it doesn't cause that assent. Like you're saying, silence is an answer. If if someone mm-hmm. says, like, I just think that Ebola was fake, we'll go with that. If you're if everyone's silent, it can transmit, oh, everyone's agreeing with that. Um, just saying, hmm, I don't really agree with that, but okay. And what do you mean? It's like, yeah, I mean, I'm happy to have a conversation if you want to have a conversation. Uh First, though, I want to see, like, is there any sort of information that would change your mind? I want to get a a feel of this is going to be, is this going to be a good conversation? How do we feel? How are we feeling right now? Um, And pull them back a little bit. If they say, well, nothing, I'm right. Just don't. It's not worth it. No one's going to win. Um, (laughs) That was it. it, I I watched that. I saw that post. It resonated with me. And the idea of your conclusion being like, don't waste your time. If that's I that's something I need to I I need to integrate into what I do, because I think I waste a lot of time out there. I think it's it's hard. And, you know, I knew I knew people were going to be unhappy with that, because if at some point with social media, you get to a, a place where enough people see things that every single time you say anything, someone's unhappy with it. Um, right. And it's just because they're unhappy about something else and you happen to be right in front of them. Um, yeah. But I think like the the point of that is that you truly only have so much energy um, and you can think about it like at a science fair, if people are walking, if you've got a little table and you've got all your objects out in front, part mm-hmm. of being at a science fair is it's nice. Everybody there has bought into their at a science fair. You have that. Everyone there, even if they're like, I have nothing else to do today, they still chose that versus like laying on the ground and doing nothing. Um, but as they're walking around, you're trying to attract them to your table. That's the question of like, hey, do you want to have a conversation? Don't usually say that, but you're like, hey, do you want to check out this cool rock? Okay. Like, yeah, kind of. Um, and, but, but you think about these moments that anytime you have someone at your table, there are other people passing by that aren't at your table that you can't connect to any person that you're giving energy to, to try to, to help them learn and experience things. That is a space that could be occupied by by somebody else. So Mm. if someone is difficult, if someone is like, well, I don't think that's a real rock. And, and you're like, all right, I think that we're getting somewhere though. Like, let's, like, what would you, what would you consider a real rock? Can we test that out? So you say it's, it has to be super hard. Well, how hard is this? Huh, interesting. You know, do those experiments. You might be able to get them versus someone says like, I hate rocks. I never want to, a rock should be gone. I don't want to learn anything. Let them leave, let them out because there are other people and any moment of your time, even if it's, even if you're at the kitchen table, there's four people there, there's no one else to engage with that emotional and mental energy you're going to spend on this person is going to not be spent elsewhere. So it's, it's less of like 
don't try to help certain people. It's more of make sure that the help you're giving is effective and not everyone is going to be willing to accept that at every moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I love the idea of figuring out. Um, I, I do um, when, when I engage with people and they have, I, I often, um, I often try to sort out like, well, how could we make this falsifiable? I, I, I will often say like, okay, that's your position. If I take the opposite position and you and I have a, a, a bet on it, how do we determine who wins? Because I can tell you how you win the bet. Like I can tell you the evidence that it would take for me to lose the bet. And is there a, evidence that you, that, that could convince you that you lost the bet. And if there isn't, then that's an unfalsifiable belief that you're holding, which is like, we all have those, but know that that's what it is. And, um, and I, I guess, I guess kind of what I wanted to, um, transition towards was, is, is there, have you found any useful tools in just along that same way of, of um, identifying the value of making something falsifiable? Have, ha have you found tools for just generally helping people think more scientifically, just some like very basic tools like that? Because I, I because I feel like, I feel like a lot of the um, conversations and arguments happening are people hold a position and then they just it's just like throwing papers at at one another. Like I found here, look, I found this story that that validates what I have to say. Let me let me assault you with that. Um, and then, you know, changes every three weeks or whatever. Whereas I feel like there's not there there's sometimes not an examination of what the actual premise mm. is where where like you know I think for a lot of people um say say in the crowd that um that is fighting um very so you you brought up ivermectin so i'll put that on you as much as i would as i'm interested in having the conversation um I, I i feel like it's not about ivermectin i feel like nothing has anything to do with ivermectin i feel like ivermectin is one of the tools being used by people that want to uh just do basically just do nothing just I want I don't want to do anything. So people become an amateur mascologist to say not to say like, oh, and then I've discovered I should be wearing an N95 mask. So I'm going to wear an N95 mask. That's not what they're using it for. They're using it. So to say these things don't work, let's not use them at all. They're they're like a thing with a lab leak. Speaking of making something falsifiable like the white house is looking into it and i've gone to people i'm like okay if the white house finds that it was a lab leak i lose the bet what happened if they find out that it wasn't a lab leak do you pay me or do you say oh well of course they would never 
Of course they would never say it. So there, it's unfalsifiable. But again, if it was a lab leak, which it may have been, you'd want to take it just as seriously, if not more so. But instead, again, it's like to go, uh, someone else's problem. I'm not going to deal with it. Yeah. Same with like vaccines. Same with ivermectin. It's just the whole premise is, I don't want to accept that this is happening. I don't want to be told what to do. And if ivermectin is the thing that I can, if that's the hill that I have to die on, then gosh darn it, I guess I'm an ivermectin expert now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the an interesting thing you're bringing up with the, the kind of like betting concept. And, and one suggestion on that would be to, Challenge them to bet you the opposite way. Like, don't challenge to actually do that because they're going to say no. But but say, OK, if we wanted to bet on this, but let's say we switch. Let's say I defended yeah. ivermectin and let's say you were saying it wasn't. When would we decide who won? Mm -hmm. Because suddenly they're in this weird spot where they are. A lot of times people are very innately competitive. Um, and so if they are competitive, if you've now put them in a situation where they want to win, by proving themselves wrong, this creates this really interesting, interesting opening of like cognitive dissonance. We talked about this idea of these two things I, I firmly believe in are incompatible. What do I do now? You've created this space where they've kind of pushed open their own door. Um, sometimes they'll say like, well, I would never take that bet because I'm right. Like that's okay, fine. Super lost cause. But you might find people who, especially, this especially works really well for people who say, mm, I'm not... I'm not really on either side of the issue. I consider myself a devil's advocate. I'm like, mm, okay, I know what side of the issue <laughs> yeah, you're on. Yeah. Um, so people right. who say I'm a devil's advocate, this works really well because you can say, okay, great. So this is, this is useful. You can help me with this as a devil's advocate. If we had to switch, if you had to play that role, when would we define the bet? When would each of us win? If I'm voting, if I'm saying ivermectin works and you're saying ivermectin doesn't work in this case scenario, when do you win? And that forces them to find a situation in which they win and causes their brain to be like, oh, gosh, there is a chance. What do I do if that happens? Um, and so in terms of the this, like, it, it, you see it all the time and, and bringing up like the lab leak and, and this idea of what you're saying, this kind of like moving of goalposts, right, where it's well once they show this, then I'll believe them. And they do, they show that. It's like, well, no, I don't. Once they show this, I'll believe them. It's, it's a normal thing. Um, one of my favorite, uh, one of the, the best talks I've gone to like probably ever, uh, was at a science communication talk just because of how, how much this, this part mattered to me. But, um, this presenter was a science communication talk. So it was a fairly left-leaning crowd. It was in Portland, Oregon. So, um, and it was this talk about how, there is a political difference between views on climate change. This is not news to anyone that generally the more conservative uh, red party in the U.S. is negative towards this idea that humans are causing parts of climate change. All the way to the mm -hmm. part where sometimes we see this more conservative led discourse of climate change is not real. Um Versus on the other side, there's the more left blue party, if you will, that um, is accepting of the reality that climate change is happening and that it is being caused and exacerbated by human activities, which means that there are things that we can do. Um, both sides are very frustrated. And so this the speaker put up showing like 
is climate change real? Is it not based on political party? And exactly as we expect, the, the blue bar was higher, that they know it's real. It's caused by humans. There's things we can do. Not 100%, but there's a pretty big split. Um, and the whole crowd was like, yeah, you know, like smart people know this, whatever. Um, and the, the speaker was like, really though? And in that same study, what had been done is that they also asked the people of all different backgrounds, different questions about the facts around climate change. Now they didn't necessarily call it climate change. It wasn't, is it real? Is it bad? Are we worried? It was, what is, what is a greenhouse gas? What are the, what is the greenhouse effect? What is the ozone layer? What is carbon dioxide? What is the climate? What does climate mean? And there was really no like strong difference between the political parties. And the takeaway of this was that the facts the facts don't necessarily matter as much. What it was actually related to is that the climate change thing was a talking point of the party. It was a structural piece of these people's identities. So either side was happy to say the greenhouse effect is where the light comes in. It gets trapped by all the different like fuzzy air stuff and it gets hotter inside like a greenhouse um, that the pollutants mm -hmm. that we've put into the air, that's a problem. The issue came in when we asked a question of, will you go against your community? you identify as a community in this way. And the same way that if you have a sibling or something behind closed doors next to them, you're happy to like elbow them in the ribs during church and get them in trouble. Or you're happy to like call them all sorts of names. I have a younger brother. Um, you, like It's fun. The moment anyone would like mess with my brother at any sort of form, I'm going to defend him. So mm -hmm. what you're actually asking in a lot of these cases is not, do you know the facts or have you thought through it? But it's, are you ready to desert your community? So you yes. have to provide uh, a space right. that is basically like, you're not leaving your community. I'm not pulling you out of here. I just want you to yeah. consider this thing that maybe you belong in a different part of your community, or maybe it's just, we're just thinking here. We're just having a conversation. It's okay. And to let that person know, if you have a full conversation with them and at the end of the conversation, they said, I haven't changed my mind a single moment. I don't forget everything you said. You can say, okay, well, thanks for the opportunity. It was really nice to chat with you. Um, they have to know coming in that they're not about to lose their entire background of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, th I think that they're, I mean, I, I also think that there's some people out there that are willing to be swayed because they care about their community and they would like their community to have the correct information. And it's also an opportunity to, um, you know, put things to their community in a way that um, might make sense to them. I, I mean, I part of the reason why I started this podcast was because I was uh, I was from uh, from Wisconsin. I was raised very religious at did not take for me at all. I, I loved having these kind of like philosophical debates when I was a teenager and stuff. And, and, uh, and I, I eventually um, kind of started realizing, oh, this whole time I'm trying to argue with someone or whatever. Um, there's there's actually plenty of people out there that just have not had some of this information presented in a way that they would understand and um and they would actually be interested in it 
if it wasn't just being kind of yelled at them by people like me, which I, which I still do, uh, make the mistake of, of doing. And so that, that was the, that was the origins of this podcast was how do I figure out a way to take science ideas and present them in a way that, that they'll, uh, uh, that they'll understand. So if you're, if you're wanting to kind of introduce information, right, this idea of, um, maybe they just haven't heard it the right way, or maybe it hasn't been presented in a way that they can consume. I think, again, it, it goes back to that context. It goes back into that buy-in of, well, maybe that's because nobody else has really taken that time to understand where they're coming from. And, and to your point of, well, wouldn't you, as, as somebody who cares about your family and your community, wouldn't you want to do the right thing? Um, absolutely. But it's really hard to to figure out who to trust. And once you've decided who you trust, it's a really scary thing to question that. If you say, well, this person that I trust with all of my decisions, maybe I don't trust them on this one thing. Um, if the same person who tells you all of the ways that you should raise your children and you trust them, but they're telling you also don't take the vaccine, it makes sense that that it's a lot easier to just trust them on that extra piece than to challenge all of these other questions. It makes you reconsider what other things should you be challenging. That's really, really scary. And so giving people the permission, first of all, of saying, let's just talk about this one specific issue. Let's set aside everything else. This conversation is not about the entire world and who should run it. It is a question of Let's let's talk about where where's the ivermectin thing come from? And like you were saying, I don't think it's actually I don't think it's actually ivermectin. Like, what is what is this? Um, and what we're seeing, I, I think it's actually really interesting, is that the same way that scientists have a, a difficult time communicating things, um, the anti-vax movements have a difficult time because so scientists a lot of times will come forward and say, here is this problem here is an okay solution, but it's still a problem. Here's the problem of climate change occurring, that we're going to see the water levels rising and there's going to be a lot of really, really big issues. Everything's kind of bad. We don't have the answer, but we need you to care about it. That's not a good value proposition. That is that is like, at best, you want to ignore that. Um, what the anti-vax movement is coming up against is that same thing, where they're, they're saying, there is a problem and we don't have a solution. You can't, it's really hard to convince people to believe you if you don't give them an answer. So in terms of climate stuff, just saying, well, there is no, there is no problem. Fantastic. Anti-vaxxers can't say there is no COVID. Some try, but that's actually like a very small, a tiny percentage of people actually believe that it's really, really small. It doesn't deserve as much airtime as it gets, but so they can't just say COVID is not real. The people that have died that you know, that's not a thing. They can't deny it anymore. So they still have to give an answer. Um, and ivermectin is a different answer. It allows them to save some face of like vaccines are still bad, but here's an answer. There's still a problem, but here is a solution. And you look over to the scientists and the scientists are saying, here's the problem. Mm -hmm. Here's the solution. People pushing ivermectin will say, and it helps everybody always, all the time. There's great benefits. Whereas the scientists are saying, this is probably going to lead to about 80% of people mm -hmm. having a significant decrease in symptoms, uh, depending on the variant and the time at which they took their last booster. It might also like, depend on if they're immunocompromised, but we really encourage that population. I'm like, actually, I like the thing that comes in a tube that my horse already has. Um, and, and truly, you think about it. 
if if you set aside the political divide, if someone, you know, dropped you into this situation and said, one side of people believe that there is a virus that is completely out of control in so many ways. We are at a really big breaking point. Everyone's exhausted. And you can take this vaccine that is scientifically sound. Scientists around the world say this is a really good thing. The consensus is these vaccines are safe and are effective. There's a lot of literature to back it up. You can do that. However, when you take it, you're probably going to have side effects. You're not going to feel good for a day. And, and to take it, you have to take time off of work and you have to go get a shot. And you don't really like that. This is your option. If you believe this side, this is your best option. Um, and also wear a mask when you're with people who haven't done that or with your new people or, hey, that's going to change. Really not a great proposition versus they say, and then the other side that you can choose. They're saying um, it's not that big of a deal. You don't have to freak out. And here's a fairly cheap piece of, you know, product. It's just like a little, it's a little bit of like medicine, but it's safe enough for horses. It's been approved for people. It's fine. It's been around for a long time. Um, and you take this and it's preventative. It's curative. You can take it whenever you want to. Uh, and your veterinarian can supply it. You can get a doctor. You can actually just go to the vet. I mean, if I didn't... It, you can't blame you can't blame people for wanting that to be the reality. I want that to be the reality. I would love if we could just if like we could just take Tylenol or we could just eat turmeric and that would be <laughs> that would be amazing. It is sort of funny to me that the thing that people have picked yeah. up on is like this is the solution is a drug made by the biggest pharma <laughs> like top 3 every year pharma um, if a yeah, pharma company yeah. could reformulate in any sort of way and repatent in any sort of way and sell this to the entire world, they would absolutely do this. Um, but I, I get it, right? Like, I also, yeah. I also want that. I also want to believe that climate change is not happening. Mm -hmm. I also want to believe a lot of things that I know aren't true. And so I just I, I I try to come from that space of yeah. like why why are they feeling this way, and realizing that the the truth is not going to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of effort to to find it and to accept it, and it's really hard when the answer is the best we can do is seventy percent, and you should be really excited about that. That's that's a hard that's a hard thing to sell, mm -hmm. um, but actually just starting out from that point and saying like hey. I know this is not fun and I know you don't like this. And I know that even thinking about this is scary, but would you be willing to kind of think through it with me and understand a little bit more of like where you're getting caught up? Where are you getting confused? And even just asking that question of like, is it better to be wrong and comfortable or right and uncomfortable? Is it better to be wrong and unsafe is it better to believe these things that are comfortable and actually put your family at risk? Or is it better to face things that are really scary, not have the best solution, but at least have the best chance of taking care of people? And you can ask them, when have there been times where there's been an uncomfortable truth that you've had to face? Like when you get in a car, there's some chance of getting in an accident. How do you put your kid into a car every day knowing that there's a risk? And it's this idea that, you know, you have to face it. You have to live your, your day um, talking about that the truth is not fun and comfortable. The science is not always clear, but in my opinion, personally, it is easier for me to 
understand the situation to say, you know what? I am afraid of this. This is scary. This is uncomfortable. I hate this situation. Okay. Now that I've dealt with that, what is the best that I can do? Even if it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess, I guess, um, some of the things that worry me the most, um, are, in terms of like, what is the premise underlying some of these, the minutia of uh, your fondness for like thinking vitamin D is going to fix everything or whatever it might be. Um, and uh, it is, is that this idea of like, this is what they don't want you to know. It's mm -hmm. the, the premise that, I mean, it is like laughable, but it's, it's, horribly dangerous to forward an idea to people that every everything every organization every the entire scientific community every all of the medical community is in a plot against you and so d don't don't go to your doctor don't listen to scientists instead like if you can find some like homeopath person that will like do some spell on you or whatever, like go to that person instead. And I think that that's, I think that the stakes for thinking that are a lot higher than the like nitty gritty of like, let's see if ivermectin helps a little bit or doesn't. And Cause it certainly it, it's in, in areas where there's, a high parasitic load. <laughs> it, it's certainly nice that they're finally having a little access to, to, uh, things that might be helping an underlying problem that has nothing at all to do with COVID. So silver linings, but, um, <laughs> but there's, it, you, you know what I, I, so, so in terms of like getting, getting people to explore, that premise I think is more important than anything because it, it, it's talking about reworking a really dangerous heuristic that's going to, um, that, that that's going to damage a lot of people. I, I've, I've been involved with conspiracy stuff for a long time. One of my best friends got sucked into conspiracy stuff years ago and he had MS and ran away from the medical institutions and toward spending a bunch of money he didn't have on tons of homeopathic stuff that he couldn't afford. And, and, you know, he ended up in the medical institutions eventually anyway, because now he's in a wheelchair, barely able to feed himself in a home for, uh, people with MS and potentially doctors could have done something to help. And that's what's happening with COVID all over right now all over the place and it's like it's it's easy to nitpick these little ideas of like try to explain how studies work um and and the scientific method and like my gosh we gotta explain to even the even most willing people don't know what a double blind study is or what or the importance of it and to like have to have to explain that to each and every person on an individual level when a lot of them don't want to hear it. And it's now such a part of their identity is mm. exhausting. And uh, sometimes I don't exactly know what to do. 
I mean, it's, it's interesting. Cause I, I think we are, um, it's hard to not, it, I don't want to say this. It's really easy to feel like everything is happening, happening right now. And this is the critical moment. Right, 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 I, right. Of course. Yeah. And I think I look at the pandemic and the thing that I'm most afraid of is how we've actually affected people's um, willingness to go to doctors exactly. and willingness to get vaccines, you know, and, and like this is actually the first year on record that we've seen partisan splits on who gets a flu vaccine. And if you think back, first of all, oh, gosh, it's like it's like saying Voldemort. Um Trump is pro-vax. Yeah. One of the things that was supposed to be a shining diamond on his presidency was that he operated this Operation Warp Speed, yeah. which like that was a whole thing. But the reality is, is that there was a coordinated effort to bring treatments and to bring vaccines forward. And he still talks about getting vaccinated. And in fact, all the senators and most of the TV commentators and all these other, they're vaccinated. Yeah. Um, and what we're seeing, though, is that it, People are not only shying away from getting the COVID vaccines, vaccines against COVID, but also the regular flu vaccines. And it might be like, well, yeah, because they don't trust vaccines. That's not true. A year ago, that wasn't true. There wasn't the split of Republican or Democrat getting the flu vaccine. So, you know, these that is what is like very scary to me. But that's also part of sort of what's comforting is that people's identities do change um, faster than they think. Anytime someone's like, I've, I've, I am matured. I have found myself. I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's actually studies that show how wrong you are. I love it. I love, I love the optimism. I love that you are the most important, special individual person in the world. Like hold on to that, do something good with it because Mm -hmm. we need more of whatever that is. Um, but like I was reading a book the other day talking about the the background of synthetic biology, the idea of basically like hacking cells to do things. It's like having bacteria produce insulin so that we can use it. It's, it's hacking cells, but it's a normal thing that we do in a lot of ways that's really important. Um, when Dolly the sheep was cloned, I think it was 96. Uh, it was the end of the world, like different uh different countries put out moratoriums on it. There were suddenly rules about that. Like everyone freaked out because they were like, this is, we are going to get into hardcore human eugenics. We're going to start cloning people. If it happened in a sheep, then everybody is, it's, it's going to happen next year. Um, And now if you ask people their thoughts on cloning, like people are still like reasonably should be skeptical about human cloning, but you talk about something like like stem cell research. And it's got a totally different vibe now. People who used to be 100% against it. Another thing that's really important to me is like legal marriage for people of the same gender or same sex. Um, I am just barely old enough to remember that this was a real thing and that I, I grew up in Iowa, which was one of the earliest states to approve marriage between two people of the same gender. And so a lot of people who were vehemently against it, openly against it, would talk about it at PTA meetings and with their friends and family. Suddenly now, just 10 years later, 12 years later, um, they've changed their minds. And you you probably couldn't ask them to pinpoint when they changed it. And they might actually tell you that they actually really always believed it. They were always skeptical. It was just, you know, they, they needed a little more information. They could have been like literally leading a parade against this. Mm-hmm. And now they're saying, that's always how they were. Um, so although we think that our identity 
is not malleable. Uh, we don't think that we are going to like and want the same things in the future. We really, really, really are super malleable, mm -hmm. super influenced. Uh, and, and so I just have to believe that if we look at why people are turning towards these specific answers, why they're like, yes, vitamin D sounds like a great answer. Okay. But why? And are there, are there things we can learn from that? Is that because they're feeling unsafe? Is that because they're feeling like they don't have an opportunity to understand the science? Is that because they don't have anyone to talk to who could explain to them these things, whatever that is. And however, the other the other side is doing things, how can we look at that and say, we can't undo these last two years. It is way too late. I lost my mind when I saw a couple of weeks ago that like free N95s are going to be at your Walgreens. I'm like, that is actually exactly two years too late. Yeah. Um, but it's not too late for the next two years. And it's not too late for the next pandemic, which is absolutely going to happen yeah. for us to use this time to say, what did we do wrong? And how can we how can we change this going forward? So I, I do hope that we look back at this in 20 years and we say, wow, look at the look at that time when everything fell apart. Aren't you so glad we got to a point where that didn't happen again? I, I just have to hope that that is a direction that we can we can end up in. And I, I do think it is if we collectively kind of get our stuff together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's. I I have a lot of hopeful ideas about it. I mean, people learning things about cognitive biases and things like that. You, you see people throwing around words like um, um, cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias and motivated reasoning is starting to get out there a little bit more. And that's that is exciting to see people um you know integrate some of these tools for self appraisal and and judging information and then i see you know like uh, recency bias but just just yesterday some uh a bunch of republicans in georgia put on the ballot to get rid of um get rid of uh the um uh, the uh, uh, school mandated vaccines for all of the vaccines, polio, everything. Whoa. I mean, that's a, that's a thing that like, you can't, you can't put the toothpaste back in that tube. Once that happens right now, 50 States have regulations, uh, uh ensuring that anyone in a public government run school is, is taking those. And they're, once those go away, it's it's going to be once people stop making vaccines a default behavior and start th thinking through them, there's going to be like lots of varying thoughts about what to and looking for information. You're going to find bad. You're going to find a lot of disinformation out there that and I don't know. I, I don't know what to think. It, here's here's a couple things that i want to close with um one um i i would i would love to see and i try to remind myself of this um because you know like anyone else i often talk out of my ass and present it like it's fact and whatnot but I, I would, I would love to see a celebration of like being wrong more. I find that scientists are so good at, I'll present them with, I'll be excited to talk to them about 
a paper they wrote five years ago and they're like, actually some new info's come in and like it's not exactly that and the model is right what we were using at the time but it's more complicated and blah 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 um but i i usually do i i haven't done it this episode but a lot of episodes one of my favorite part i used to be so scared to be wrong in the beginning and doing this shows just built my tolerance for being wrong because i can't not be wrong a lot talking with people that are experts um but usually i would i would be say we were talking about plants and probiotics or something like that usually with the guests i'll go like well here's just how i picture the mechanisms that we're exploring. So I'm just going to give you a spiel about how I think about it. And then you just fill in, point out all of the blind spots that I have and tell me, and it's my favorite part of the show. And the listener gets to hear me be so wrong about so many things every episode. And I love it. And I wish in even, even people trolling me online and stuff, and the many arguments that I get on, people are like, why do you argue with all those people? And sometimes someone makes a really great point. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. And I never really thought about it that way. And I I should look into that and explore and understand why that is um, uh, that way and what I was missing. And uh, and so so I, I wish there was I wish there was more um public acceptance in uh, and social acceptance and just being wrong and admitting um uh fault um i'm but yeah. i don't know i think it's uh, it's uh, a lot of it is just you know creating those those spaces and i think a lot of times researchers and specifically academics um have a really hard time with creating those spaces because they're not, they're not something that is, is created in academia. If like thinking back to lab meetings and things that you go to once a week, it was, you, you had to be armed to the teeth with reasoning for every single thing you said, you'd say, I, I added this many bacteria at this time point into this media and did this thing with it. It's like, you had to have three citations for each of those mm-hmm. because people were about to tear into you. Um, and I, I, I think it's having to learn to split apart your work, right? It's like, sometimes you have to, you have to know those things. You have to be ready, but it is okay. And when we should make it okay, like you're saying, we should make it okay to, to have that conversation, not be an attack and not be in defense. Like what if the conversation, instead of like, you're wrong because of X, Y, and Z, the conversation was, huh, I kind of thought it was this way. Why is it not what I'm thinking? Like, like you're saying, we're, the example you gave was tell me how I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. That is the best way to to start that conversation i always try to make saying, it a game okay, this is what i understand. <laughs> yeah make it a game yeah see how many things i'm wrong about yeah. see how many things i say that i'm wrong about yeah. and then help me be right how many or like how many times do we have to go back and forth until i get the sentence perfect mm-hmm. to your opinion that's fun it's less scary but i i don't know i think we're all we're all hoping for somebody to be right about everything because it would just make the world so much easier. If there was just some <laughs> the person right with all of the answers, the keeper <sighs> of all of the truth. We need to find that yeah. person. I mean, there's a lot <laughs> online. <I've> just... 
well, we should latch on to all of them and and <laughs> treat what they say like dogma. The, the I I want to I want to end um, in um, the uh, the the most um, I, I want I want this podcast to end with just like a light fizzle because I want I, I you 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 had a tweet that I loved. It was about getting okay with boredom. Mm. Um, and being, being okay with being boring <laughs> and my gosh. So I've been on a whole boredom trip for years, actually exploring my relationship to boredom because little about me, I'm like, my default is to be a contrarian and I'm a, and I'm an adrenaline junkie and I've, broke my feet and done every drug and done a zillion like I get into all sorts of trouble and so I've I've been exploring like why am I so scared of being bored or being boring or whatever for years and it's it's made me a better person I'm probably only alive because I've gotten more okay with being bored and boring um but I, I was just curious. So when you when you posted that, I really resonated with it. What what was the inspiration for for saying that? Yeah, it was it was because I, I had a different like I had to fill out some interview thing um, that was just like, what are your what are your hobbies or what's the most interesting fact about you? And that's a question that has always really, I mean, I think it scares a lot of people. Congratulations yeah. to anybody who knows exactly what their most interesting fact. Those are a handful of people. They're like, I'm a I'm a one of yeah. three triplets, right. Or something like I was born on a yacht. Fine. I don't, there's probably interesting facts, but all of my facts are like vaguely interesting. It's I, I have two dogs. Yeah, it's interesting. Like that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's it. That's the top. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't have, I don't know. I've done, I've done a lot of things that I have been interested by and that have been fun for me. And that when I tell people about them, they want to talk about it more. Yeah. Um, and there's some things that are kind of weird and quirky, but I think far too often, at least for my, for my taste, we're encouraged to be the most something. It's like, are you the best mm -hmm. science communicator? Are you, um, oh, you knit. Okay. What was the last award-winning piece you, you did? Or, I mean, I like to cook and the question always comes up after, oh, Oh, you like to cook? What's your favorite thing to cook? And I'm like, I don't, I just like to cook different things. I like to just, I like the fact that if I'm hungry and I say I want pasta, I know how to make pasta. I'm proficient at cooking to the point where I can pretty much make whatever I want to make. Mm -hmm. And like that goes all the way up to, I can make a decent croissant. It's not, it's not like I can microwave everything I want. Um, but it was just this, this idea of, I, hmm. I spend a lot of time on the internet and I think a lot of the internet promotes this thought that you need to be the best. You need to be the most interesting. You need to be constantly reinventing yourself and riding that next wave. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a translation of a lot of us grew up before social media was a big thing. And so in a classroom of 30 people, maybe you have an interesting fact, but in the world, I I don't know. I'm not interesting compared to the world. I'm not good at anything compared to the world. So just sort of settling into this this 
moment for me of like, who am I comparing myself? What is, what is interesting or boring look like? Mm. Is, is, is it chasing those highs? Is that actually what I find fun? Or am I doing that because I'm escaping something? Yeah. Is it this thing that I've been told my whole life of like, if you stop moving, you will never go anywhere again. If you stop producing, you will be a lazy couch potato. Um, and just kind of saying like, Hmm, what if I was just like really okay with being mediocre per the internet? Yeah. <laughs> just like I cook, I'm not a chef. Um, I work out because it causes my brain to turn off a bit. I've gone skydiving once. That was fun. Yeah. Um, it's like, how do you, how do you accept that? So it's been fun to lean into it. It's and and going back to our conversation of like there, you get to a point where anything you say, people are going to be offended, upset by it. Um, and like you said, with doing these shows, you just start to build up a mm -hmm. little bit of that casing, uh, and just being like, you know what I am I'm trying to do what makes me feel good. And if people think that's interesting, if they think it's boring, cool, I don't even know. And I don't, I don't care. I don't have to make that judgment call on myself. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I loved it because, um, I, it's something I find myself thinking about and it's something I, to, to really make it exciting and up the, uh, like up the stakes on, on boredom. Um, I, I think that it is like absolutely crucial to understanding our modern world to sometimes go, uh, this isn't, the plot of a bad B movie, like the reality <laughs> of this situation is that there are thousands of nerds mulling through just excruciatingly boring data to come up with like kind of bland <laughs> um, conclusions. And yep. some of those things solve a lot of problems and uh, maybe don't do it in the most exciting way or uh, aren't the exciting silver bullet that we would hope that they are but it's damned important anyway and just like i i love talking about subjects on this show that i know most people would think are boring but i also see people like jumping up in the air at their whatever sporting event thing that I'm like, okay, I'll pretend to be excited with you, but I, this is excruciating. Like, I don't know how you just sat through this for three hours, uh, you know, so everyone has various uh, individual differences in what they are interested in and what they find boring. But, I think just just being yeah. more accepting of being boring, more accepting of because I, I think a really useful heuristic in terms of disseminating science information. If the stakes are so high, you're wondering something like, should I get a vaccine or not? Go boring. You go, go, go with the boring sciencey answer every time then you don't need to know the intricacies of randomized control double blind this and that placebo effects blah 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 like just go boring it's gonna it's gonna steer you right in so many ways yeah actually i have i have one 
one example of that that like because I have my background in in marketing and and have spent a lot of time thinking about how do you make the perfect social media? How do you make people love you no matter what your product is, right? Um uh-huh. I I find that when I when I choose somewhere to eat, um I'll look up a place if I if I get a recommendation from somebody and they say, "Oh, you should check this place out." Or I see it on some random list online that this is an awesome place. I'll check out their social media. If their social media is terrible, I want to go there. Like if this place is getting recommendations, if this place is getting on lists and it is so bad at marketing, oh my gosh. So like, like you're saying, right? Like it's a vaccine. That's interesting. I mean, there's cool technologies. We can hype it up, but it's not the most groundbreaking. Oh my gosh. Did you know that viruses can be, you know, if you can protect yourself against them with a vaccine, we've known that for hundreds of of years. Um, we've been able to do it effectively for about a hundred years. Um, but who like, it's not, it's not well marketed. It's like terribly marketed. There's a place down the street from me that like you look at their social media and you wonder if they kind of secretly want people to not go there anymore. It's so bad. It's like not, it's not well lit. (laughs) The messages aren't nice. It doesn't say, please come in and visit. It's basically like, they just tell you when they're closed. Um, amazing chocolate yeah. like some of the best chocolate i've ever had so anytime i that's see something funny. where i'm like your marketing is terrible and you still exist that's probably actually good <laughs> that's that's really interesting <laughs> <laughs> oh that's fun well thank you so much susanna for joining me this is it's and it's susanna l harris on instagram twitter you're on tiktok which i haven't explored yet but uh, I've been thinking about getting on myself. And uh, and that's is that your website as well? SusannaLHarris.com? Exactly. Great. You're a fantastic guest. Thanks so much for joining me. Likewise. Well, likewise. Huh, interesting choice. Thank you. Yeah. So that's the old U2 joke when you're uh, taking the flight and they say have a nice flight. You go, U2. I know. Oh, it. God. I do at the gym. They're like, have a good workout. I'm like, you too. Okay, just go die. Uh, <laughs> well thank you guys too for listening and being such wonderful curious people we'll talk with you more next week